newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. The Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis from some veteran journalists, and we hope that we have some insight into what's going on in the world of journalism today. I'm Rex Smith, former editor of the Times Union, now at theupstateamerican.com, with Ira Fussfeld, former publisher of the Daily Freeman and affiliated publications in Kingston, New York, Judy Patrick, the former editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady, now vice president of the New York Press Association, and Dr. Alan Chartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, columnist, commentator, former publisher of what was that uh, Fire Island <laughs> publication again? Your loyal servant, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful indeed. Alan, I want to know what you think about this because you are Dr. Chartok, you know. Yeah, you, I am that. <laughs> indeed. Oh, as the old saying goes, Subi Sales, if somebody said it, I am and you're not. <laughs> well, doctor, it hurts when I go like yeah. this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't go like, don't go yeah, like yeah, don't go like that. So what do you think about Omicron? <laughs> what do you think well, specifically about well, the coverage he, of the Omicron? The point. Yes. Our political class has panicked. They panicked because they remember Donald Trump standing up there and saying, hey, it's not too much, doesn't really matter, uh, we're not going to be that affected by it, and boy, have we ever been affected by it. So now they're out front on it, and they're saying, oh, the, the sky is falling in, the sky is falling in. And it may. As of a day or two ago, there was no case in the United States. Now there is, as we speak. And it could spread. They think that the real reason everybody's so worried is that the transmission rate is so high and so quick. So we'll see. But the news media, not to be outdone, will follow the political class and what they're doing. Well, I was just going to say, is this a chicken or an egg? Because I wonder whether the political class followed the news media. I agree with you that the politicians want to get out in front of this. But I wonder whether or not the media really leapt too far too soon. There is that line between the importance and the necessity of covering a story and covering it so much that it seems like it's way out of proportion. And at least based on what we know now, it seems to me the coverage has been out of proportion. It may prove to, when they get more information, it may prove out, but I'm not sure we're there yet. What do you think, Judy? Well, I thought the initial coverage was fine. It was explained why we were calling it Omicron. I can't exactly remember why, but there was a rationale for the naming of it, and it talked about the potential for the increased transmission. So I thought the first couple of days were fine, but we have to remember it was on Thanksgiving weekend, and that's traditionally a slow holiday news weekend. Mm. But then you saw the stock markets drop considerably, and, and you had Ben Bernanke talking about how this could affect things. And then you had the guy from Moderna saying, maybe our our vaccine may not work against this. And so I think the news media had a couple of nuggets to go with, and they have run with it considerably, and I'm worried. Part of it is the human impulse to love to panic, isn't it? We really are drawn to bad news. We tend to think, oh, gee, this is important. And so naturally, the doomsday headlines, in effect, reflect what society is. But if you're a journalist, you have to report what people are doing. And when scientists themselves are speculating about things and are saying, well, this could be bad, it could be good, we don't know, it's very hard to get that nuance across in the span of a 72.6-column headline, you know? And by the way, Rex, you're quite right, but when the President of the United States is taking it very, very seriously, 
and the news media is covering the president of the United States, who are the press, who are we to say nothing doing? Well, I've said this to him blue in the face. When cable, you don't when look cable blue. News, yeah, he doesn't look that blue. No, well, a little, it's a little chilly this morning. When, when cable news correctly every hour or so has a different program on, and each of the programs are individual entities for which the news is reported. If you choose to watch the 1 o'clock program or the 10 o'clock program, you, you'll get your news, and it will seem to be proportionate to the importance of what news is. The problem is if you're watching cable news all day long or you watched it several times during the day, you hear the same story regurgitated over and over and over to the point where you feel, A, you're tired of it, and B, it takes on, in my opinion, a disproportionately high sense of their importance. I mean, you, if you're a print newspaper, you are covering the same story, and you may even be covering the hell out of it, but it's only once a day. You pick up the paper, you read your stories, and you move on with the rest of the day. If you're sitting at home watching cable news all day, you get a whole different sense of stop already. It's too much of this, or is it really this bad? Because it seems bad because they're repeating it so much. You know, Ira, you make a good point. Our television busted in the Shartok house, and I haven't missed it. <laughs> you haven't missed <laughs> no. it, yeah. Right. Well, because you get so much news digitally, yeah. right? Yeah, Online, yeah. you don't and really... Every other way, you know, yeah. WAMC does it, the radio does it, the, the New York it. Times, which I read every morning assiduously, or the Washington Post, they all have it. How many times do you have to hear it during the day? You know, it is a way to keep the story alive, though. And then let's not forget that still a thousand people a day are dying from this disease. And throughout the country, people are still hesitant to get the vaccines. And there are a million legs on this story. And I think the news media has done a fairly good job of keeping it front and center. But we've got a long way to go. That's really right. I mean, in a sense, COVID is at the center of almost every debate in society because you have this supposed question of liberty that is the Republican mantra, the freedom of people to not get the vaccine. And the economy hinges on COVID and Biden's reelection hinges on COVID. And so it is important for us to keep the focus on that. But you can't say over and over again in your news stories, can you? We would be better off if everybody got vaccinated. But we know that to be true. So you're looking for some angle into the COVID story. We, you mean new. media? Yeah. Well, many of us in the media know it to be true, but unfortunately, a large segment of the media either does not know it or is choosing not to say it. Or and, is bought and paid for by yeah. you know whom. Well, what about that? The right-wing media, there's a question, for example, about Fox News. We had this story in the past week involving Lara Logan, who used to be a respected CBS News international correspondent, remarkable figure because she was both very smart and very beautiful. So for television, that's a combination, right? It is. And now she's minutes. a commentator. Yeah, she's now making these outlandish comments on Fox News, apparently about the only place that will pay her now, comparing Dr. Fauci with Joseph Mengele, you know, the Nazi doctor who did medical experiments in the Auschwitz death camp. This is outrageous, isn't it? And I don't quite know what the appropriate response is other than to say to every young journalist, you cannot work for Fox News. Reputable people do not work for Fox News. Well, where the money is concerned, you can't say that to people who want to make money. I mean, it is always astounding to me that we have half this country that voted, or about half, and voted for Trump. And those people are out there, and they have people in the news media who are just as ill-informed as they are. And how can anybody of Jewish persuasion in this room, it's Ira and me, we know we were raised during the Holocaust and right after the Holocaust, and we know what it means. And to have a woman say Fauci, who is a national hero, is the same as Mengele. 
the famous Nazi exterminator, it is almost more than you can take. And I do understand why some people will be so insulted that they might take up other means. Well, I mean, listen, the level of discourse in this country on this and so many other topics has just gone over the rails. And the Trump administration accused of being like Hitler, and now you've got Fauci being accused of being like Mengele. You know, people are going to look back 100 years from now in this era and say, what were these people thinking? Because it's just unlike anything we've ever experienced. I tried to get in the mind of Lara Logan, which is a mistake on any number of levels. And I don't mean this at all to offend anybody, but you recall that she she was the victim of a very serious sexual assault when she was covering the spring in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it possible that that could have created a different worldview? And again, we can't get into her heads, but you wonder how somebody who was a reputable journalist would come to this point of view. It's unexplainable. Well, you know, you get a lot of people in every field who do that. We have a former New York City District Attorney, and Giuliani, and other people who have taken the bait also. People will take money and fame, and sometimes it's just fame, over anything else. And the question also is, should Chris Wallace and Brett Baer, who are reputable news people, should they stay at Fox or should they go? For now, they're staying there. Does it help to have at least a couple of people there giving some valid information to the Fox viewing public or not? No, I'm speaking to a group of students this week who are looking at the job market, and uh, my advice to them is do not work for News Corp. You cannot work for Rupert Murdoch. It is unethical, I think, to work for an organization that supports that kind of stuff and what Tucker Carlson is doing. I don't care if you can't find a job in journalism. Be a bartender. You can't work for News Corp. So I think that that makes the work that Chris Wallace does unethical because he is still supporting the profit-driven motivation. I think you can't work for the Wall Street Journal. You know, Rex, it reminds me of a story. I'm sorry for this, but when I was working at New Pulse for all of those years, there was a guy that they brought in, uh, I think a friend of the president's at the time. That happens, you know. And this guy was horrible. And he's lefty, 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 lefty. So one day, I go into the legislature, and there he is coming out of the right-wing Earl Bridges' office. I believe it was Earl Bridges. And I said, what are you doing here? I used his name, and he said, I'm working from within. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if only it were so. That sounds like Chris Cuomo. (laughs) Chris Cuomo. He was working from within. Speaking of that story, this is, of course, a huge issue. Chris Cuomo being suspended indefinitely from CNN as we speak. We will see if that turns into something beyond that. And the key word, Rex, is indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Because if he had just been suspended, I, I would be prone to say he'll be back. Uh, whereas when you use the word indefinitely, it generally means forever. Well, I think it was very easy to predict that he should have been and eventually was suspended. I am very curious just to know if it's a suspension with or without pay, or is it just that we're putting you on the sidelines, but don't worry, you're still going to get your check. I was very confident they were going to discipline him to the suspension. I'm not quite as confident that they're going to permanently disassociate themselves from him. Well, you know, you're much smarter than I am. I've always known that, but I did not because they didn't suspend him the last time they found yeah, out Yeah, but that, that's part of the reason why this was a must because what he quote-unquote admitted to initially was not as bad as the documents released showed it to be. And plus, he, in effect, did not tell the truth to Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN. And that's a bad deal. You can't be lying to your boss, particularly in that kind of situation. Yeah, well, let me just say, I knew this woman on Fire Island. She would lower her eyes at you when she didn't agree with you. And she'd say, as I'm about to say to you, Ira, I see... (laughs) 
I think there should just be a limit of one fire island reference. <laughs> just for the record. We budgeted. <laughs> well, there's nothing that is more reprehensible than a journalist or a major journalist like yourself, Judy, who tells anybody else what to say. So, uh, <laughs> and the Chris Cuomo. Can I say, why didn't CNN do more up front about asking yes. Chris Cuomo the questions yeah. that needed to be asked? Why didn't they ask the kind of questions that apparently the Attorney General's office asked? The other thing, this whole idea of family first, job second. We're all journalists and we all have family and we don't put our family first when it comes to our job. You can put them in separate rooms. Absolutely. You can walk and chew gum at the same time, right? right. I think that's exactly right. I love David Bowder, the AP media writer and upstate New York resident. I think that the couching of his account of this, loyalty to family instead of CNN suggests that those are either or and that we have never been able to do that in our line of work have we you have well uh, that's a good question Rexy you know I would ask you and Judy both of whom are fairly condescending on this issue I'm somewhat unctuous go ahead uh, let's go <laughs> I would ask you has a family member ever come to you and said could you do me a little favor no no. They know better than to do that. No. And friends. I have a wonderful friend who used to run a not-for-profit who said, it does me no good to be your friend. In fact, it's a disadvantage because you won't do anything for me. And it's problematic. But I think that that shouldn't be an issue. Chris Cuomo should have known from the get-go that he couldn't advise his brother on this. It's a simple matter. Say, love you, bro, but I can't talk to you about this, obviously, given my job. By the way, I agree with you. But the sanctimoniousness from both you and Judy is, is hey, you overwhelming. You know what? If, if Andrew Cuomo was any kind of a brother, he would have not involved his brother. I mean, he put his brother and his brother's $6 million a year salary at risk. What kind of a brother is that? And you can call it sanctimony, but I'll tell you, it is that sort of opinion. <laughs> it's that directive that keeps journalism clean in this country instead of having it be like in a controlled economy, a controlled state like China, where there is no coverage, for example, of the disappeared tennis player. Ooh. And that is because the Chinese media is under the control of the government. So, Rex, sanctimony, Rexy, yes, but Rexy, we're right Rexy, about this. Rexy, sir. It is so hard for me to believe that neither you or Judy, both of whom had major editorial responsibilities, were never approached by somebody who said, either from family or others, said, can you get a little story about my garden party in the paper? My relatives don't do garden parties. <laughs> that is so... That is no so I, seriously. But would people, acquaintances, sometimes call me and ask if we can do a story? Sure, but, you know, the surest way, by the way, if you're an editor, and you paper. never complied, right? The surest way is if you're an editor to not get something published in the paper is to try to get yeah, something published to, in the paper. Right. I used to tell that people would call, can we keep this out of the police report? And I said, well, gee, we didn't know about it. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, put yourself in Zucker's position regarding Cuomo's long-term future. He is their highest-rated program, yep. but he is still third in the ratings in that time slot. Now, that reminds me of a story in sports when Ralph Kiner, the famous home run hitter, went to try to get a raise from his team after a leading league in home runs several years in a row, and the general manager said to them, we finished last with you, and we can finish last without you. <laughs> and right now, Cuomo may be their highest-rated, but he's last among the three majors at 9 o'clock. Yeah, let me, I pulled some numbers. So Chris Cuomo, and then first week in November— he pulled in 684,000 total average viewers. 
Fox in comparison was 3.4 million. Yeah. Wow. Um, and his and Chris Cuomo's ratings have been on a gradual slide since the summer. Well, Judy, I know you're serious, and I have to take you very seriously. Especially when I put my glasses. That's on. exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> you anticipated my very remark. Well, I think it's not a prop. I think actually uh, <laughs> she needed those glasses, but but it looked good. Uh, it's, it's a good thing. Anyway, the, the, there's nothing like preparation for this program. I can tell you that much. How would you know? Exactly, uh, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Media Project. If you haven't joined us before, we offer apologies for just. May, yeah, actually, that means if if we have new audience, that means they haven't heard the Fire Island stories, Alan. Uh-huh. So what a great opportunity this is. Fire Island is a big part of my life. That's Abs- all I got to say. It's not- someplace in Long Island, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. the card to he'll tell the chicken story next. Oh, no. <laughs> That's Alan Shartok, Ira Fussville, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith. And you, if you want to have your view shared here or your stories about Fire Island, media at wamc.org is the email address. And we're uh, always happy to talk to you. What about inflation, by the way? I mean, we're, we're, there's so many big stories here that we need to deal with this week. And the program's only a half hour long. You know that, Alan? It should be an hour. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> if only we had somebody with power at this radio station here. <laughs> but if you came to me, I'd have to say no. I, I don't respond to right. requests. <laughs> He's got his ethics. (laughs) Uh, Inflation. We see and hear in the media these days an awful lot of talk about inflation. And yet the question is, is that also a story that is being overplayed? Is, in fact, media coverage of rising prices fueling the inflationary bubble? Is it out of sync to what's really going on. Interesting question. Does the very publication of a story encourage other people to take it seriously, right? I mean, that is a very profound question. Unusually so, Rex. Right. uh, 88% of Americans are worried, according to CNBC reporting. uh, USA Today, inflation's wrath hits home. The headline about, oh, even your coffee is going to be subject to inflation. So people talk about it. It is obviously going to become the central focus at this point of the Republican campaign next year and the question about who's to blame for it and so on. I think there's some question as to whether the whole issue is being misstated because when you look at the comparison year over year, of course, you're looking at the coronavirus year and trying to, again, put nuance into a story when so much of news consumption is on television is these little hits is a very difficult matter. I don't know, Rex. You get into a public transportation, you pay twice as as much as you did a few years ago, it's going to hurt. And it's going to hurt like hell. But and you're going to be angry. But is it double than it was? Well, look at what it costs to ride the subway in New York right now. I was recently there. And, you know, I remember when it was a nickel. <laughs> I mean, it's a dime now, my God. But if you compare What's a nickel? gas prices to a year ago, I mean, I mean, or even in Trump's tenure, he was always bragging about how low gas prices were. And gas prices were low during the pandemic because nobody was going anywhere, and there was a surplus of gasoline on the market. Same, well, right. same with a lot of things. And I do think that the coverage is driving people's fears. I mean, a box of cereal has been $4 for the last five years. I thought it was really high five years ago, but it's not anything that's new. So once again, I ask the question, is it chicken and egg? Is the coverage too much because they're misinterpreting the statistics that you just raised? Or are they simply trying to respond to the concerns they're hearing from their readers or listeners or viewers, and they're regurgitating it back out in the circle? Who's, who's driving the additional coverage? You know, I'm a little concerned by all of you, as opposed to me. 
because most of the time you are defending freedom of the press and the idea that every story horrors should, imagine that uh, freedom uh, of the right. press I'm starting defending to get a little it. concerned about him go yeah. ahead <laughs> uh, that every good for you Judy that every story ought to be covered and that there ought never to be any kind of censorship or even self-censorship you always talk about how you got the news you got to cover the news and now the implication of what I think I'm hearing is when we do it we are responsible for people being concerned about inflation inflation is very important to a lot of people in this country. But is it, is, is it as it's being portrayed? Is inflation because of all negative things that happen in the world thus raising inflation? Or is it, as Judy says, it's just a comparison to when the numbers were lower for reasons that have nothing to do with the economy, just because of the pandemic? It is what it is. I think Andrew Cuomo once said it. It is what it is. It's amazing that, you didn't go on stage with that mastery of accents you had there. <laughs> well, part of growing up in New York is to survive. Yeah. So there to. are polls out showing that people are really worried about inflation. But were those polls taken after the buildup, the news buildup right. about this? You know, the take of the left on this is that if you believe that the media are influenced by corporate titans, a topic that Dr. Shartok often hits upon, is that this is being pushed. The fear of inflation is pushed by the corporate titans because inflation erodes the value of debt. Debt, understand this, is an asset for the debt holders. And so if your debt is uh, fixed by a certain rate of interest, your value drops. And these corporations that hold debt, banks and insurance companies and so on, lose billions of dollars in inflation. Wait, 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 wait. That's so are you saying this is a conspiracy? That is what some people on the left are saying. Yeah. Well, you know, I know a lot of people go around and say what some people are saying. They really mean what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I really don't believe that. I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't believe that that's actually what's driving journalists. I just want to say that is the analysis from some on the left. So let's talk about that for a second. So the suggestion is that somebody in a corporate office somewhere is phoning to the local affiliates of TV stations or the newspapers exactly. and telling them what to do. I'm not saying that doesn't happen at all, but I certainly don't think it's widespread. I certainly haven't heard of it in my experience, but it's also, though, I think Alan again uses the word, see, you don't have to talk at all, Alan. I'll just quote you. And this will be fine, <laughs> I right? But I'm, I quoted you, Rex, in a column last week. I don't know if really? it's true. Yes, I did. Because of the question, um, there's been some talk by some newspapers that the federal government should be paying newspapers to survive. So in other words, ah. uh, so, and this is something we have discussed many times right. on this program. My position has always been, okay, if it's a not-for-profit newspaper, like we're seeing some of them rising now, then pay them just like you pay public radio to do it. But if you're going to give money to some, you know, rather inflated in every way publisher to survive, why would you do that? And so I quoted you as saying you were against me on this, Rex. Well, I can't believe I missed that. I'm Well, I was out of town. <laughs> Don't you have a, a Rex Smith thing on your Google where if somebody utters the word Rex Smith, it comes up? I know I do with Shark Talk. <laughs> no. You know, I had that, but it doesn't seem to be working. It well, works. Nobody talks it works, about me anymore. It works for me. <laughs> so, Alan, are you suggesting that any entity that gets a government grant needs to be nonprofit and have their details released? Well, let's put it a little bit differently, Judy. I know you're trying to trap me here, but... I'm not trying to trap you. I am trapping you. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you're not. No, the fact is, the government has no business supporting private industry ah, with, with, so with like money. So like Obamacare, which is a subsidy for the insurance companies. I uh, agree with that. I'm, I'm so we shouldn't for... have Obamacare. We shouldn't have highway construction, in fact, because that's a subsidy for the private now, highway Now, stop builders. it, Rex. It, do, it, it doesn't well, well, industrial it, development? It doesn't, industrial it, development. doesn't dignify yeah. you guys. How about economic development? That's well, I'm all for economic development, research? but I think oh, there have uh, to be guardrails. Medical research? Yeah, that's all private entities, isn't it? Well, I, I happen to believe that. I am a great believer, and I've said so many times, that the National Institutes of Health are responsible for much of the construction we do for the drug companies. In other words, the basic science is done by government. Then we hand it over, in too many cases, to the people, the Pfizer's and the others who use it and make great amounts of money doing that. Yes, this is a very so, contentious issue. So really, the government ought to own everything or everything has to be not-for-profit. Private, what, what in, your, in your of, view, you private industry kind? has no role. What are you, some kind of communist? <laughs> uh, now, <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong. Before. The government is not writing checks to the press. The government is extending right. tax credits correct. and things of that sort. That is right. Yeah. Now, I my position is... As, they're not doing it yet. This is a, not, no, right. This is well, this they are. Actually, there are tax credits. If you install a folder on your press at the at Kingston Daily Freeman, which you probably did at one point, yeah. that is a cost of production that is tax but That's exempt. true for every single right. business yes, in the United States. Right. And it also, they, they did uh, many, many years ago, establish lower postal rates for newspapers to mail their ah, newspapers. Subsidy. Said, there you subsidy. go. Alan's against it. Yeah. Well, I'm against, I'm against this program that's being proposed no, under normal circumstances. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, this is like being in quicksand and I'm reaching out and we're going to have to accept this money even though it's not a good idea for us to be getting Why is it a good idea, Ryder? You know damn well why it's not a good idea. Because then you're in bed with the very people you're supposed to be looking over the shoulders of. Exactly. This is part of the Build Back Better measure that passed the House and has to go to the Senate now. So Right. Right. And it is a simple extension of tax benefits to media organizations, and which are fundamentally important to communities. Rick, come on. You and they are dying. Thousands of newspapers have closed in this country, and nobody is covering those local communities. And what would you do about it, Alan? What, well, how do you fix it? Well, let not-for-profit newspapers arise and support them. Well, I think that's all that has to happen. But, well, they, but the idea of giving away federal money to support certain people who are publishers who are sitting up there with a cigar in their mouths puffing away is not a good one. So this is all about you just want to know how much the publishers make. It's not I, an ethical issue about taking money from somebody you cover. You know, you and Rex are really good at trying to put words in my mouth, but it won't work. Joel's <laughs> <laughs> doing pretty well. <laughs> good job. Yeah, yeah, all right. Way to go, way to go, way to go. You're, Round two. And he's against cigars, too. What's wrong with puffing on a cigar, I tell Cancer, you? Cancer, it's cold. Ah, there you go. Well, publishers can't do it indoors in any case. There is a proposal, Alan, that would be more to your liking, I presume, because it is a local journalism initiative to provide federal funds to not-for-profits in local communities. I'm all for it. Oh, yeah. Ah, here, oh we yeah. here we go. I'm all for it. After all, you'd have to be a big hypocrite not to understand that WAMC, which I run, or I try to run, gets money from the federal government, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And there are a lot of people who think we shouldn't, and maybe they're right. But the fact is, this is the way it's going. Uh, you know, I think you guys are on the losing side of this. Write in and let us know which side won this debate. <laughs> yeah, whether 
whether capitalists should get money directly from the federal coffers or not. Uh, or yeah, whether give it another couple should... of years and there'll be no newspapers left to get that money. Rex, by the way, is the first one I ever heard say that. He was a courageous, and still is, a courageous journalist and the editor of a major newspaper. And he said in 10 years ago... Well, yeah, but we've hung better. on a little bit longer because I remember that 10 years ago and there's still a lot, <laughs> there's still a lot of newspapers. But we're not, we're not going in the right direction. Well, but as Judy can tell you, they're closing up and they're, they're in big trouble. And, yeah. Right and left. Uh, well, I also say a lot of them are doing okay, and if, what we're going to see first is they'll probably cut days. You, you yeah. might see twice a week newspaper. And, and, and that is and, happening and, and right and left. And that's all we have time for. Media at WAMC.org is how you can get your elbow into this conversation. Alan Shartok, Ira Fussfeld, Judy Patrick, and Rex Smith, with thanks to our producer, Dave Gustina, and to you folks for listening this week on The Media Project. Let's give three cheers of freedom of the press.